0: Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father, and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. It's good to be in the Lord's presence again this morning. It's to come to Christ and to allow Him to stir and to minister in our hearts, and I'm so excited about what God is stirring, just about what He's doing in our nation, in our city. I'm just so e- expectant for what He's doing within our church. I was speaking to some of our leaders just in, on Monday morning, I think it was, and we've had a, a couple of guests visit us so far this year. James was here recently. Henny was here. Um, before that, I can't remember one or two other guests, and every single time same comes, they all say exactly the same thing. Over and over, the same word is coming that God has prepared something special for us. This year, the verse that's been on my heart, I've spoken at length, be negligent now, because God has chosen you. I'm so expectant by what God is stirring, but to be totally honest, I'm a little bit intimidated by what God is stirring, Because in the natural, when I begin to dream, I begin to think, I begin to see how this place is packed three, four, five times over a weekend with people hungry for Christ. With different venues around the place, just as people are hungry for Christ, I become a little bit intimidated by the practicalities of it. By the realities, but then also Just an understanding that if God has chosen us, God will do it. Spoke a little bit earlier in the year about the fact that all we have to do is we just have to fill the vases. It's God who turns the water into wine. We just need to bring the wine. Sorry, we just need to bring the water and put the water in the jars. And as much as God has been stirring in, so I was just speaking to an international group, some friends of ours from a church group in the U.S. who are thinking about coming and doing some ministry here. And they were here recently with the team and just giving some of their feedback just as they are visiting, just a stirring in their hearts, within their spirit that God is doing something in this nation. Some of you may have been at the Exalted Conference at the Globe doing one of the reasons why James was up here with Francis Chan and Andy Bird who are traveling the Globe doing ministry. And... Come to share with us and while speaking to some leaders, I'm not sure if they said it in the main sessions, they said as they've been traveling the globe, there are only two places in the globe where they've experienced at this moment a hunger for Christ like no others. They said the one place where they've experienced a hunger for God, just a raw, real hunger for God is in Brazil and the other place is South Africa. And it's so important for us to remind ourselves of what is real and what is happening in this nation, what is happening within the spirit realm. I think it's really easy to get despondent in South Africa. Let's be honest, in in the natural, the current state of our nation is not so great. In our natural, if we had to go down a little tick list of things that should be in a successful country, we're probably not scoring very highly on that. In the natural, there's a lot to complain about, to be upset about. There is a lot that is wrong. There is a lot that needs fixing. I wonder what our discussions over the braai fire, there are a lot of braai fires nowadays because they're not electricity to make food, so we have to braai a lot. Or over the water cooler, those discussions at work, if we start speaking about the country I'm assuming the largest part of those conversations are not really positive. They're not, man, I cannot wait for this. is so good living in South Africa right now. South Africa is such a great place to be. I am so good. I am so glad that all of my investments are in South African rands, (laughs) Z-A-R. That's probably not the discussion we're having right now. I think what helps a bit is that as South Africans, we've always been able to laugh at our struggles. We've always been able to find a way to get through the struggles. There's something about our our sense of humor. Maybe Nando's has a bit of a role to play with that. But we are able to find ways to laugh in the midst of, of genuine struggles. I think someone said a decade ago, whatever I said, it's probably because in South Africa, if we didn't learn how to laugh, we'd spend all the time crying. There's much to cry about. What's that famous book? You cry, The Beloved Country. I guess that title is as relevant now as it's ever been. And even just looking around, I know some of us here are are not from South Africa, but from other nations where the same principles apply. Where there was much to cry about. Speaking, I I guess, to a lot of people at, at work and in professional environments, I think the E word is coming up a lot immigration? Should I move? Isn't it going to be better in in a different country? Maybe I should rather go live somewhere else. If I had the resources, if I had the opportunity, if I had a green card, or if I had a different passport, if I have a different visa, I'd be gone. be honest, who's had a a conversation around those lines in the last week or two? Maybe not you yourself, but someone you know who said that. I think many of us have, that's part of the the discourse at the moment. Morning, I'm not against immigration as such. That's not at all what I'm saying. Don't hear that this morning. I think most Bible scholars would agree that shortly after Pentecost, just after Jesus left, There was a diaspora is sort of the the modern name we use for it. There was a massive exodus, an immigration out of Jerusalem because of persecution that arose within Jerusalem among the church. And most Bible scholars are in agreement that God initiated that diaspora, that it was God who caused, in a sense, the persecution to send the disciples into the nations because the disciples had grown comfortable within Jerusalem. And so I think there are times and there have been times across the, na- across the years when God has definitely used emigration. I am by all means not against emigration, but I am against running away. And I think there's a big difference between the two. One of my most, I don't know if shocking is the right word moments, we, we're in this massive stadium, big conference, tens of thousands of people, and... Um, I think, if I remember correctly, I was wearing an SA rugby jersey or cricket jersey or something, which is a, a very brave thing to do in Australia. Um, and, as I, and as we came out of this, this big session, there was a guy who came up to me. He was also wearing an SA rugby jersey. And he looked at me, and the very first thing he said to me is, How long have you been out? And I looked at the watch, I said, the session finished about two minutes ago. He said, no, no, that's not what he means. He means, how long have I been out of the country? I'm like, what do you mean? And then he just begins to speak all of this vileness about South Africa. And everything inside of me was just, can I just rip that jersey off of your shoulders? Why are you so committed to trash-talking the country? And, And I realized, in Africans... who who ran away and took all their baggage with them. I've got some, I was staying with this African couple when I was at the conference. Amazing, blessed people who very definitely didn't run away. There was an opportunity for them. There was a sense in their heart that God was leading them. And and they went out of obedience and opportunity. And for a reason that wasn't a reason of running away, but a reason of pressing towards God. And so I think it's important when the immigration starting point is, not wanting to speak about that too much, but maybe but throw something in there. But I do want us to think this morning a little bit about the kingdom. About the fact that God has chosen us. Practically, what does that mean? What is it that should be registering in our hearts if we are saying God has chosen us? God has chosen us for the city. He's chosen us, I believe, collectively as a church, as a grouping to impact the city. I believe He's chosen you individually to impact your community. I think one of the things that we need to perhaps think about often, even if we don't speak about it, in Romans 14, we read this beautiful passage. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or what we drink. The kingdom of God is... In a sense, if I can paraphrase, it's not about material things. The kingdom of God isn't, and and the context here, just to help us understand a little bit where he's coming from, people here are fighting about should they eat or shouldn't they eat meat, what's holy or what's not holy. holy. So that's the context, but I, I believe the principle carries through. He isn't only saying that the kingdom of God isn't about only rules. He's saying the kingdom of God isn't about material stuff. We'll see this in a moment. See, the kingdom of God is about living a life of goodness. The word-for-word translations, if you have one there, would say righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God and others will approve of you. So then, let us aim for a wonder in our church and try to build each other up. I wonder in our discussions about election time that's coming up, in our discussions about our workspace, in our discussions about our country, in our discussions about, you know, when the immigration word comes up, in our discussion around life, I wonder how often are we talking about the material realities and how often are we talking about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. What is it that matters to us? A couple of years ago, a band called Delirious brought out a song and I think actually it was a, a whole album with this title, Kingdom of Comfort. And then the title song was, Save Me, Save Me from the Kingdom of Comfort, where I am king. And I'm in need of material things. One of the things I want us to think at this morning is, are our lives focused on kingdom or on comfort? Because we can't have both. We can be pursuing the kingdom of Christ or we can be pursuing our comfort. We can be pursuing peace and righteousness and joy in the Holy Spirit or we can be pursuing comfort. We can't do both. And so this morning as we're looking at perhaps in South Africa, on the one hand, fortunately I'm speaking to a bunch of really intelligent people because I'm wanting us to go through this whole message and I'm preaching two messages in one, all at the same time. On the one hand, I'm wanting us to apply these principles, these thoughts to how do we think about the land that we are in, the land to which God has called us. If God has not called you to be here, then please come and speak to me afterwards. We want to pray with you so you can be where God's called you to be. But if God has called you to be here, we'll look at that in a moment. Then let's be here with how God would look at where we're at. That's on the one level. On the other level, God has chosen us. We've spoken about that so much this year. If He has chosen us, it means He's leading us somewhere. He is preparing us for something. He is, in a sense, taking us to a promised land. And how are we approaching that? So on the one hand, really practical day-to-day living. On the other hand, calling and purpose. Where is God taking us? The same principles applied on both levels. I honestly believe that in our country at the moment, there is an assault on our joy that we haven't experienced in my lifetime. There is a hopelessness, a lack of joy, a lack of just fulfillment and purpose in people's hearts. And the way to get back to that, can I just maybe throw this out there, is not to suddenly fix the power stations. As great as that would be, maybe just a little small disclaimer, I am, as I stand here, load shedding exempt. Exempt. By the grace and the provision of the Lord, the, something about the you will receive power when you move to Colburn or something along those lines. So I, I get that maybe I'm a little bit disconnected from that. I don't even know what stage load shedding we're on now, which is scary, isn't it? You know, it must be nice. Is that Sometimes I don't even know we're load shedding until I have to take my kids to school. And on the way there, all the robots are out. And as we drive, you see the lights are out and the kids at the back, oh, load shedding. It must be nice. It is very nice. Just move to Colburn, guys. It's a promised land. Okay. But guess what? Even people staying in Colburn, there is a joy that is missing. And so as purpose, people who are kingdom focused, if we purpose to be kingdom focused, then we should be purpose to be joy focused. Because the kingdom of God is not in eating and drinking, but in righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. We should be saying, God, how do I pursue joy? One of the things that I've loved in our years of traveling and doing missions and going to different nations and spending time with really impoverished people, which is just such a fantastic reality check for where we're at often. I remember a couple of years ago, you think we've got it bad now, we've got some Zimbabweans sitting here. I remember about 10 years ago, we were in Zimbabwe on a mission. Power wasn't even, a, we knew there wasn't going to be a power. I think at that stage, you had two hours of power per day or something like that. You guys could, and we were staying, and you know what the challenge wasn't? The power so much we could work around the power. The challenge was fuel. We literally couldn't get fuel. So I remember, myself and Hendrik, we had a car with some jerry cans, and we got driving around the city, and then you find a fuel tanker. And then you follow the fuel tanker in the hope that the fuel tanker stops at a petrol station. And from time to time, you follow one, and he drives out of the city, and you realize, okay, wait, he's leaving. That's not gonna, we're just going to waste all our fuel. And then you kind of get behind a fuel tanker, and you drive until he stops. at. The, I'm not even joking. You can ask him. You stop at the petrol station. The fuel tanker fills up the tanks. By the time kind of that's empty, there's already... A hundred or whatever cars dumped all into fuel. Almost all of it has been pumped into vehicles again. And you hope that you're there quick enough after the petrol tanker to be able to get fuel. That's literally where they were at that time. Not sure what it's like now. I haven't been back in a while. Going back a bit later this year. By the, if it be God's will, we're planning a mission there. In India, I remember working amongst. So in India, you've got the cost of the caste system. And you're born into a social status. And the good news or the bad news or whatever news you want to make it, you are in that social status for the rest of your life. Don't worry. You will die one day and you can come back in the next social status, in the next life, which is really sad. I'm being joking there, by the way. I'm not really in the whole reincarnation thing, but that's part of what they believe. So they're in this caste, They're in the social status forever for, for, that, for their life. And so we came and we worked in what they call the untouchables which is the lowest of the social status. Do you know what I discovered? Some of the most joyful people that I've met in my life are untouchables in India or were staying in the midst of economic crisis in Zimbabwe. People who'd learnt that the kingdom of God is not about eating or drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. In the book of Philippians, I need to go a lot quicker because there's actually a passage that I still want to read, like a whole story in the Old Testament, and this is just the introduction. Paul writes, and he he says to the church in Philippi, how I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me, specifically about his finances. Again, I know you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I know how to have power or not power, load shedding or not load shedding. Feel or not feel. I have learned the secret of living in every situation. I think somebody should call a book, write a book called The Secret, and call, talk about contentment. I have learned the secret of living in every situation whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, and then probably the most misquoted passage in all of Scripture, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me. You know, I'm going to buy the new Porsche because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I wonder how often we say, I can go without food. I'm okay in load shedding. It doesn't bother me when there's no fuel in the pumps. I actually wanted to read Habakkuk for us. Some of us may remember that from who grew up in a traditional church like this one. If the olive tree doesn't bear fruit and there be no harvest in the fields, I will still rejoice in God, my Savior. There is something that needs to shift in our hearts as children and as followers of Christ away from this obsession with materialism and towards peace and joy and righteousness. And understanding that I can do that by the power of the Holy Spirit because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul carries on in, in Timothy. He writes to this young man. He says to him, Yet true godliness... With contentment is itself great wealth. I love that phrase. True Godliness, with contentment is itself great wealth. If you want to measure your wealth, perhaps a better measure in a kingdom of your wealth than net asset value is how content are you? How godly are you? Because that in the eyes of God is great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world. We can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and watch this. I want us just for a moment just maybe replace richness in a money-only sense with just worldly pleasure as a whole. I think the same principles carry true materialistic things. and Bring that and wonder how much of this we see in our discussions in our friends' lives. Maybe perhaps do we see any of this in our own lives. People who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil and some people... Craving money, have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. I think the opposite of joy is sorrow. You see, there's a a sorrowfulness that comes with a desire and a pursuit of material wealth, and there's a joy that comes with contentment. There's a joy that comes with pressing into Christ. And one of the things that we just need to make a peace with that, contentment. Contentment, my favorite definition of contentment, is the art of being happy with what you have. Contentment, I'm happy with what I have. If I happen to have great wealth, I'm happy with it. I'm content there. I don't need more, and I'm willing to give. Scripture says to the rich not Paul writes to Timothy, see, he doesn't say command those who are rich in this age to give everything away and become poor. That's not what he says. He says command those who are rich in this age not to trust in uncertain riches. You see, God doesn't have a problem with wealth. It's amazing for me in, in the church how, how often those who are struggling, I guess in the world, those who are struggling financially, judge those who have the very things they're praying for. We pray for good schools for our children. Maybe we pray for a nice car or a comfortable house. The moment someone has it and we don't, we judge them for having it. God's never had a problem with wealth. Abraham was the most wealthy man of his generation. Job, after God had tested him, became far more wealthy than he was ever before. And so we can carry on. David, the one man, Scripture calls, was a man after God's own heart, was probably more wealthy in brand and sense terms, if you kind of went to inflation, adjust the value of the gold and everything he had than anybody else who's ever lived. God never had a problem with wealth. But we should not trust, we should not seek, that we should not allow a pursuit of wealth to cause us to wander from faith and to pierce us with many sorrows. I believe God's wanting to bring a joy back into the church. Not a joy that is... Ignorant of the realities of the brokenness outside. Not a joy that is ignorant of the fact that we don't have power. Not a joy that is ignorant of the fact that our government is a mess. Not a joy that is ignorant of the fact of the economic status we're in. But a joy that is rooted in the truth of Christ and not the truth of this world. In Jeremiah 29, and this is all still by way of introduction. I need to go a lot quicker. Verse 4. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all of the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Here we have a bunch of people living in Babylon. They want to be living in Jerusalem. They're not where they want to be. If they could, they would emigrate. But they are trapped, they have been taken prisoner. Their plan is, I want to leave. God comes and says to them, build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children, then find spices for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. I think that applies to all of us in South Africa. I think that applies to every human living on this planet. That part of contentment is embrace. I can kick against it all day long. I am just going to upset myself. I'm going to lose out. Or I can say, this is where God has called me to be. And as I said earlier, if God has not called you to be here, we need to pray and trust God to move you to where God has called you to be. Because then you're living outside of the will of God. But if this is where God has called you to be, what if we were to embrace Jeremiah 29 and say, I am going to live here and embrace this place, pray for and strive and work towards the peace of this city, because its welfare will determine my welfare. It's only going to go as well with me and with my family as it's going to go with the city in which I am, in the country in which I am. And so let's get to the the passage that I I want us to to look at and dig into a little bit. That was all sort of just some building blocks, some foundation before we get to Numbers chapter 13, where the Lord says to Moses, Send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I am giving to the Israelites. God has taken the people of Israel; they were captives in Egypt for about 400 years. They were slaves, living in atrocious slavery conditions. There, God delivers them powerfully from that. The whole—I um, must say the Ten Commandments, not that one. That's not coming. The Ten Plagues—that's just happened. There has been an incredible deliverance. God has opened up the Red Sea. They walked through the Red Sea. They got through the Red Sea. The Red Sea closed and swallowed up all of the Egyptians. The whole army was swallowed up. They've left Egypt with a whole stack of Egypt's wealth. Livestock, gold, you name it. They've got it. They've stolen it from Egypt. God delivered them. God set them free. And He's taking them into this promised land. He's taking them into this place that He has prepared for them. God has chosen you and He is taking you somewhere where He has prepared for you. I want us to see this bit there in the middle of this passage. God says, the land I am giving. God isn't saying the land I am considering giving. The you you have to fight for. The land that if you work hard enough, you will get. No, This is the land I am giving. Send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He sent out 12 men, all tribal leaders of Israel, from their camp in the wilderness of Paran. See, the instruction to these people wasn't, and I'm going to run ahead a little bit because some of us may know the story. The instruction wasn't, Go and find out if you can take the land. The instruction was, go and have a look at what I'm giving you. That was the instruction. Go and seek this land. Look at this land. Go and glimpse the promise where you are going. There where God has been speaking to you about where He spoke. He said, I've chosen you. He's wanting you to step out in faith. He's wanting you to go somewhere. Maybe right now some of us are here where We're excited and we're about, we're just glimpsing what this could look like. What could this be? What could this ministry, this business, this opportunity, this thing that's stirring in my heart, what could it look like? And if God is saying he will do it, God will do it. One of the big dangers is when we start second guessing God a little bit like I mentioned earlier with the logistics and the realities about how. God is saying he will do it. But he's saying, go and look. And so they go and they look. And then the next bunch of verses is just all of the names of everyone who goes. And we pick up the story again in verse 17. Moses gave the men these instructions as he sent them out to explore the land. Go Go north through the Negev into the hill country. See what the land is like and find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or bad? Do their towns have walls or are they unprotected like open camps? Is the uh, the soil fertile or poor? Are there many trees? Do your best to bring back samples of the crops, you see. It happened to be the season for harvesting the first ripe grapes. And so as these people are going, the instruction is simple. just, It's an unknown land. You've never been there before. Go and glimpse it. There where God is taking us, we have never been before. We can be intimidated by that. We can be excited by that. But God is saying he is taking us somewhere. God is about to unleash something, not only upon this church, but upon this nation that the world hasn't seen in in ages, I don't want to say never because you know God does a new thing, but at the same time, there's nothing new under the sun. There's always that tension. God is wanting to release, and God is releasing a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. God is about to release a joy and a peace in the Holy Spirit. God is about to bring revival within our midst. The question just is are we going to question Him in it, or are we going to go where He leads as far as Rohb near Lebohamath? Going north, they passed through the Negev. They arrived at Hebron where Ahim, we'll get to these guys now, they're important, Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talmai. Do we have any Ahimans, Sheshai, or Talmais here today? Okay. Great names for your children one day. All descendants of Anak lived. We'll get back to them in a moment. The ancient town of Hebron was founded seven years before the Egyptian city of Zoan. He's saying this is an old place. When they came to the valley of Eshel. They cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes so large that it took two of them to carry it on a pole between them. That's some proper grapes. They also brought back samples of the pomegranates and the figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshel, which means cluster, because of the cluster of grapes that the Israelite men cut there. These guys are going to this land that God has called them to, God is giving them, and it is a good land. After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen. They showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and indeed, and it is indeed a bountiful country. There, where God is taking us, is a bountiful country. The place to which God has called you, wherever that is, is a bountiful country. The place where you are stepping into, in the ministry, in that which God is stirring in your heart to step into for His name's sake is a bountiful country. A land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of food, fruit it produces. And I can just imagine them pointing to this bunch of drapes, grapes. But... But the people living there are powerful. Their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there. The descendants of Anak. You know those three weird names we had earlier? Giants. Later on, David is going to tackle some of these giants. One of them is going to call Goliath. That tribe that people had already been existing. The Amalekites, they live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites, they live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. They're saying it is a fantastic country, but there be giants. The place God is calling you to is a fantastic country, but guess what? There be giants. There's an old preacher, some of you may have heard of him, T.D. Jakes, who was just one of those phenomenal people, I wish I could sweat like him. and <laughs> Always with his cloth, wiping off his sweat. They're not even going to try and do a, a T.D. Jake's impersonation because it would just be totally useless. He's just one of a kind, but such a, a preacher who inspires faith and teacher of the Word. But he had this way of saying, if there ain't no giants, it ain't your promised land. The promised land that God is calling you to is not a land that is empty and desolate and no one wants to live in. Because then it wouldn't be a promised land. There are giants there. There are people who have fortified themselves there in the context of where we are speaking about now. We're not talking about other godly people who have gone ahead of us and prepared a way in the spirit and fortified themselves. Now we need to kick them out because we want it. No the ungodly, the unrighteous, the unjust. They are there. They have found ways into that space. For whatever reason, they were there before us. We're not necessarily going to be the first people there. They just take campuses across the road there. Guess what? We will not be the first people back on campus. The enemy, in a variety of different forms and ways, has fortified himself on the campus. Just using that as an example, just something that... We can pull our faith towards. We could use any of the other places to which God is calling us. The inner city where we are doing our shelter service on Sunday mornings. The enemy has fortified himself there. He's fortified himself there with drugs and with alcohol and with addiction and with poverty and a variety of different other means. It's not like there aren't giants there. The question isn't are oh, there giants we're leaving? Caleb tries to quiet the people as they stand before Moses. Let go at once to take the land. He said, we can certainly conquer it. Come, let's go. Caleb is on this page. God has given it to us. A little bit later, I think I I cut off before that, but a little bit later, God says that Caleb had a different spirit. Some translations, Caleb had a different attitude. Caleb was different, and Joshua, just the two of them, were different to the entire rest of the nation. Because look what the rest of the nation does. But the other men, so there's 10 verses 2 here. The other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. See, there's a big difference here between the two. The one is they are stronger than us. The other one is our God is stronger than them. Our God is giving us this. See, the one is this whole works mentality, I need to. It's about me and my ability, my skill, my works. The other one, it's about grace. God has given. And so works, dead works, hard works is always going to say Never. You can't. Grace is always going to say we can. And so here Caleb brings forth a message of grace. He says, let's go at once. God said he's giving this to us. Let us listen to God. The rest say, no, 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 they are stronger. We are not good enough. We are not strong enough. We are not big enough. We are not armed enough. We are not trained enough. So they spread this bad report about the the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge, which is just a lie, by the way. Some of the people they saw. a small minority were huge, but obviously they're just making it bigger and going worse than it could have been. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. We felt like grasshoppers, and they thought we looked like grasshoppers. We are grasshoppers in their eyes. I love the fact that we can be grasshoppers in the eyes of the devil. I am very happy being a grasshopper next to Satan. Because I know a lion of a tribe of Judah. I know one who is not a grasshopper. You see, our success, our taking the promised land, doesn't hinge on whether we are grasshoppers or not. Our success of stepping into where God has called us doesn't depend on whether we are grasshoppers, how big I am. I love that I'm small. I'm small in the eyes of God. But I'm loved in the eyes of God. You see, is this a Philip thing or is this a Jesus thing? Is this a you thing or is this a Jesus thing? Is this a Caleb thing or is this a Jesus thing? If it's a Jesus thing, then it's about the size of our God. If it's a me thing, then it's a size about me. So they say, we are like grasshoppers. Then the whole community began weeping aloud. And they cried all night, and in this moment, joy is obliterated from them, obliterated. There is no more joy. What has happened? They've been pierced through with many sorrows. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If watch this. If only we had died in Egypt. I'm seriously, guy splitting the Red Sea. This isn't the next generation who only heard the stories. These are the people who lived the 10 plagues and the deliverance from Egypt. These are the people who are eating manna every morning because God is providing. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us out to this country only to have us die in battle? That lie is going to come into your mind when you step out for the purpose of God. When you step out to the thing that you know since the beginning of this year, every time we've spoken about the fact that God has chosen me, God has chosen me, this thing is coming up, you know what's happening in your mind? You're saying, I will die if I step in there. If you step in your own strength, you probably will. Taking us to this country only to have us die in battle. Our our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Come, let's go back to slavery. Slavery was fun. Hey guys, do you remember how cool slavery was? Let's go to slavery. I mean, how do you sell this to people? But the whole nation buys into it. Come, let's go back to Egypt. Remember the whips? I can't wait to get whipped again. Who's with me? Then they plotted among themselves... Let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. This is a good plan. Come. Moses Moses is going to kill us. Let's get someone else. And Moses and Aaron fell down on the ground before the whole community of Israel. Two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua the orphan, the son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, tore their clothing. They said to all the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, He will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord. And don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only a helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. And here we see a, a different spirit, a different attitude. I wonder when we're standing around the bright fire or when we're at the water cooler at work, which of these two camps do we fall into? When we're talking With our friends and with our colleagues, when the inevitable conversation of the state of South Africa comes up, what camp are we in? Are we in the camp that says, it is finished, there is no hope for us, this whole place is forsaken? Or are we in the camp where my faith is in Jesus? Yes, I see contrasting giants, I see the same realities, but guys, you're missing something. Quickly, wanna just contrast these two things? If we go back two slides to the one that's called Reality Check. The bad report says the land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. The people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. That's the one account. Jump two slides forward again to the last slide there. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord. Don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. We are grasshoppers, says the one. They are helpless prey, says the other one. They have no protection. Yes, they might have the world's biggest walls. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> spoiler alert! Run a little bit forward. Jericho's walls didn't help to big, massive walls. Has anyone ever seen the Tale story about Jericho? Keep walking. That it isn't going to fall. Keep walking. You silly little, f- whatever, you silly little pickle, you silly little onion or whatever it is, keep walking, it isn't going to fall. You know, I've forgotten the rhyme now, but what makes the walls of Jericho fall down? People walking around it in silence six days and seven days shouting suddenly. I mean, that's a fantastic scientific theory, except science has nothing to do with this. They are helpless. They have no protection against God. And so as we step into where God is taking us as a church, if we step into this nation, once again, two pages. One is where is God leading you? What is that promised land that is intimidating you? Secondly, where is it that God has called you to be the place that you are embracing? If we step in there, we can step in and we can think what matters is the wealth and we can think what matters Is the eating and the drinking. Or we can step a little bit like Caleb and Joshua and Moses and Aaron. And we can say the kingdom of God is not righteousness. It is not in eating and drinking. It's in righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Taking the promised land is not about my ability and my skill and my gifting and my strength. And I'm not saying don't study. I'm not saying don't prepare. I'm not saying don't read. I'm not saying don't be equipped. But at the end of the day, that's not what determines success or the lack of it. The success is, is this a God thing? If it is a God thing, let's go. Let's say yes. If we die, we die, but at least we're dying, pursuing the purposes of God. But we won't die, because they think we're grasshoppers. Have you put them next to Jesus and seen who's the grasshopper then? It's your people filled with faith, with a different spirit, saying, this nation, I've got hope for this nation. One of the favorite quotes I've ever heard was, sometimes you just need someone from outside just to step into your situation, just to bring a a bit of faith and hope in Someone from a different country stepped outside and stepped in here. He said, people often ask me, he's quite a well-known guy, people often ask me if I still have hope for South Africa. And he said these words which stick with me forever. He said, that's irrelevant. The question is, does God still have hope for South Africa? And I don't think that God has given up on this nation. And so I have hope for South Africa. When he said those words, they stuck with me. I don't believe that God has given up hope for this nation. I don't believe that God has forsaken us and God has abandoned us. I'm not saying if God's calling you to immigrate, don't, I'm forsaken. What I'm saying is let's not run away from somewhere where God has not forsaken. Let's embrace it with a different spirit. I would rather be the lunatic that everyone laughs at around the campfire because I have hope in Jesus. Then go home dark and desperate, despondent, pierced through with many sorrows and no joy. Let us be a people who fights for joy in the Holy Spirit and who takes the promised land. God is about to do something. Some of you have begun to step into that. Some of us sitting in this room have begun to step out and just start places, just begin to speak to people, and God's opening doors. Some of us have just said, God, I'm here, use me, and God's begun to use you. I think that's a little bit of the Caleb uh, who's bringing back the fruit. Some of you may know Marna, I think she shared it, I don't know if it's the morning or the evening service. She studies on one of the psychology campuses, not Tuxa, a different psychology-only university. And God stirred in her heart just to start a Bible study group. So she posted on their little group, hey, is anyone keen for a Bible study group thinking two or three people might want to come and the rest of the campus is all going to laugh at her. The first day, 28 people pitch up. I like the size of that trevetros. That's where God's taking us. God's taking us somewhere where there is abundance of fruit and fruitfulness. If we will allow Him to take us there, don't be intimidated by the giants and the liars and the reasons why we can't. Let's say, God, if you can, if anyone can, you can. So let's go. Can we stand? I want to pray with us this morning. Jesus, thank you this morning that we can remind ourselves in such simple words, Lord, but just so real, it's all about you, Jesus. Jesus, we repent for the times we make it about us. Lord, we repent for the times when we are like the other ten and the rest of the nation and we're just so drawn by the realities of the brokenness and the giants and the fortifications of the cities and the reasons why we can't. Holy Spirit, I thank you right now for a turning and a changing of our attitudes, of our hearts. Thank you, Holy Spirit, right now that you come. You do a miracle in us and you make us people like Caleb and Joshua. People of faith and hope because our faith is not in our circumstances and our faith is not in our trials and our struggles and our own abilities and strengths and giftings. Jesus, our faith is in you the lion of the tribe of Judah who has prevailed, who defeated the power of death. And so, Jesus, we pray for our nation, the nation where we find ourselves today, Lord. And we hold on to the promise that you have not given up, Lord, and so we will not give up. And in the same way, God, we bring our promised land before you. Each one individually, for us collectively as a church. There where you are taking us, the land flowing with milk and honey, and we say, Jesus, do it. We say like Abel, like Caleb, and like Joshua, you are able. And so we're going, Jesus. We go right now, Lord. We're going where you're calling us, where you're sending us, the land that you are giving us, Lord. You are able to safely bring us into the land that you will give us. As intimidating as it feels, Lord, we trust you, Jesus. Lord, it's you or nothing. We realize that, Lord. And so we choose to go with you in Jesus' name. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I want to ask specifically, if. Something is stirred in your heart. If you know that you've just lost a little bit of hope and faith, you you become intimidated and drawn in by the talk of the town. This morning, Jesus wants to come and shift that in your spirit. I want to ask you if that's you. In just a moment, you step forward. On the one hand, if that's you and just the realities of this life, you have become the naysayer. You've lost focus of Christ and His plan and His purpose. We want to pray with you that God would restore joy. That those sorrows that have pierced through you, God would come and remove those, that piercing and replace it with righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And similarly, if you hear here and you know God's calling you to something and you've just been intimidated and You're aware of the giants and you can't go there. It's just, I don't know how, God, you glimpsed it and it's amazing, but God, that's big. I don't know if I can do that. We want to pray with you too. Pray that Jesus would come and stir faith in your heart for His name and for His purpose.